Hey, folks, you're about to listen to our latest episode of Daily Wire Backstage. It's with me and Andrew Clavin and Michael Moles, who's terrible, and God King Jeremy Boring. We're going to talk about all the things you want to know. We're going to answer your questions from Daily Wire subscribers. I think you're going to love it. Enjoy. Fake laugh in three, two. <laughs> oh, welcome to the Daily Wire backstage. Summer is here, but Harambe is not special edition, guys. Wow. It's been three years. Can you believe it? Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. I'm Jeremy the God King Boring, lowercase g, lowercase k, in case the real guys listen. Tonight, we're going to talk through politics, Game of Thrones, Memorial Day. Literally, guys, we have nothing to talk about. <laughs> nothing has happened in the news in weeks. Joining me, as always, tonight are Ben, the Nazi leader, Shapiro. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> Andrew Clavin, Michael Knowles, the lovely Elisha Krauss, who's going to tell you how to get your questions answered for uh, the evening. Elisha. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for being there. I guess the Zodiac Killer moved me out of my seat <laughs> as I'm back in the broom closet. <laughs> but for everyone watching at home, this is a very special episode of Backstage, in case you didn't see him there with Senator Ted Cruz. We're excited to have him here, even though, you know, being an Okie, I just have to say boomer real quick. So if you want to ask him or any of the guys some questions tonight, be sure to head on over to thedailywire.com and type all of your questions into the chat box on the live stream at dailywire.com. And remember, only subscribers get to ask the questions. So if you're not a subscriber, my main question would be, why the heck not? You can become one tonight and get your questions in for all of the guys here on Backstage. And be sure to head over to Facebook because we have a special, you know, very summery kickoff for summer Daily Wire poll over on the Daily Wire page. The question is, what's the best part of summer? Is it A, less work, B, less rain, C, the climate change, or D, the movies? Well, thank you, Alicia, and thank you for stealing my Zodiac Killer joke. <laughs> we are, though, welcoming a very special guest on the show tonight, the beautiful, beautiful Ted Cruz. <laughs> Senator, welcome. Well, thank you, Jeremy. I will say I saw on Twitter today you talked about Harambe, and I guess it's the, the anniversary of, yeah. of his killing, and someone tweeted on this anniversary, how is it? that Ted Cruz's dad is still on the loose. <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost retweeted it, but I think I would have gotten in trouble for that. Right after the election, I actually created a meme called Justice for Jack with this very somber portrait of Jack Kennedy. And uh, I started trying to get traction behind it. I wanted the president to open an inquiry, but eh, so far, uh, you get nowhere in this. Nowhere in this. Look, no there, there, there's that a reason try. I suppressed the Warren Commission findings. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, legitimately nothing. Nothing has happened Not in weeks. Should we do Game of Thrones then? We, will, we should do Game of Thrones, but I, I actually have one thing that I want to talk about, and that's this amazing story put out by BuzzFeed uh, that suggests that our own Ben Shapiro is a gateway drug to Nazi propaganda. <laughs> well, he storm. has been for me. I, I've been <laughs> saying it for years. <laughs> I, don't, yeah, I mean... What can you say? They've discovered me. The nefarious Jews working their Jew magic again. <laughs> so to get this straight, I'm an Orthodox Jew who gateways people to the Nazis is that they attack synagogues where my friends go. <laughs> Man, I'm good. You, you guys are really sneaky. You Jews. <laughs> it is amazing that after literally three years of enduring a kind of anti-Semitism that I legitimately now I did not know existed yep. in our country and certainly didn't know existed uh, on the right in our country, although certainly not among conservatives, but among right-wingers, that now define that the left's great attack on us is that we are the anti-Semites. Right. I, it's, it's weird. It's I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I didn't see that one coming. 
It was, it was a twist. It was like sixth sense right there. I mean, I, but yeah, it's it's been kind of bizarre considering that three weeks ago I had to file a police report and the FBI arrested somebody who is a white supremacist for threatening my family and targeting my home. Yeah, uh, and I, I believe he put out a tweet that said it's time to start bombing synagogues. Yeah, that, that guy was that guy was real solid. Yeah, um, yeah. in 2016, I, I was amused to see that the Washington Post ran with that piece today about this Indiana schmuck piece of garbage who was swastika a, a synagogue, and then they ran the piece that, that I guess his lawyer contended that this guy's underage wife once read a column of mine, basically, and that this was a gateway to Breitbart News, which was a gateway to Stormfront, which is a big jump right there. Quite a jump. I mean, you really got to jump. And that the Washington Post ran with that. And Didn't you write a story for the Washington Post I, like a year ago? I did, in fact. I did write a story in 2016 that was specifically about why the alt-right is evil for the Washington Post. And yet today, <laughs> the Washington Post ran a story about how I'm a gateway to the alt-right. So that's kind of a weird that thing. That sounds very convenient there, Ben. You write a piece <laughs> in the Washington Post, and then 4D chess later, yeah, I'm you're starting a Nazi. I'm starting to believe this may not all be in good faith. I mean, <laughs> it's starting to occur to me. You know, right around the time Media Matters starts, you know, watching every episode of everything I do and then clipping out one minute, 30 second, uh, second segments out of context to target me. And this, this does explain why you let baby Hitler run free, though. It does. <laughs> it comes together. I mean, it's been, it's been quite a year for my people. But, wow. I mean, yeah. No, I actually want to talk. But, it, I mean, obviously, look, what, what this really is, yeah. that all conservatives are Nazis. All conservatives are outside the Overton window. Yeah. I mean, I'm about as mainstream a conservative as it's possible to be. And this has a long history. I talked about this on the radio show today. But yeah. this goes all the way back to when they tried to blame Rush for the Oklahoma City bombing back in the 90s. It goes back further than that. It actually does go back to the assassination of Kennedy when the left tried to maintain that that wasn't communist, that that was really about evil right-wing rhetoric on race that led to the assassination of, of Jack Kennedy. It's, it's, been, it's been really interesting watching this EU election with all these right-wing nationalists coming in and everybody complaining, Angela Merkel complaining about their anti-Semitism when you can't walk around with a yarmulke in, in Germany, Germany. Well, under you, her. So there's this study. Did you see the study that she was citing in all, the, all these, uh, the New York Times editorial board cited today, <clears throat> in which they suggested that 89% of anti-Semitic attacks in Germany were the fault of right-wingers. Now, listen, the neo-Nazis are garbage people, yeah, and they should all burn in hell, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry to say that's my own quote, but... Go ahead, way to throw them under the bus. Yeah, exactly. The worst people more. But that statistic is sheer nonsense. The EU did its own study last year, and what they found was, among German Jews, when they reported where the actual anti-Semitism was coming from. They reported that 41% of all anti-Semitic incidents were coming from Muslims in Germany, and 20% were coming from the right wing. So how do you get to 89% in that German study? Yeah. And the answer is you ignore all the ones that don't fit your particular study. I mean, I have lots of friends who are the Jews, the Juden over in Europe, and I can tell you they are obviously concerned about the neo-Nazis, but there is not, it is not close. I mean, when it comes to who are you truly concerned about? Who is a threat to your safety? Why are there security guards at every shul? I can you not. Every single shul in France, every single shul and day school in Germany, every single one. Why are Jews moving out of Malmo, Sweden and moving to Israel? Why did 5,000 Jews alone last year move from France to Israel? Yeah. That is not because of the rabid right wing in France. That is happening because of the, the mass migration of Muslims from the Middle East. Yeah. And that is not an indicator that every Muslim is an anti-Semite or anything like that. It is to say that when you have unvetted immigration from places by which polls show that there's high levels of anti-Semitism, you shouldn't be surprised when those people bring their anti-Semitism with them. It does speak to the real dislike the left seems to have fostered in themselves for the West, that this, this group of people, these radical Muslims who don't believe in feminism, don't believe in homosexuality, don't like the Jews, are absolute big, that they 
support them and protect them. I mean, the only thing that they have going for them from the left's point of view is that they <laughs> hate us. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, that's, that's their kind of positive... Well, it does uh, speak to the Democratic Party's defense of Ilhan Omar, right? I mean, Ilhan yeah. Omar is, is, you know, she's not a terrorist, obviously. Right. Uh, she, I, I'm not going to call her a radical Muslim because I don't know her religious beliefs. I will say that she's wildly anti-Semitic, and the Democratic Party is obviously making room for her, making room for Rashida Tlaib, and they're doing that for a reason. I mean, that's, it's, it's really, it's amazing. I mean, Michael Oren is the former foreign minister for Israel. He tweeted out in the aftermath of that astonishing New York Times editorial today in which they blamed, it was amazing, they blamed the uptick in anti-Semitism in Europe and in Germany. They blamed that uptick on Benjamin Netanyahu. <laughs> they really, I'm, I'm not joking. They, they blamed it on the prime well, minister. Well, they of have Israel. the perfect cartoon to run with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's already, they've already got it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so Michael Oren tweeted out like, so you, you guys are missing the irony of you guys are the actual anti-Semites. And yet it is Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of the only Jewish state on planet Earth, who's causing the anti- It's pretty convenient when the only people who seem to be causing the anti-Semitism are, you know, Orthodox Jews like me or the prime minister of Israel. Benjamin Netanyahu. Well, you weird. are wearing a pretty short weird. skirt there, Ben. I mean, don't you think that you and, and Prime Minister Netanyahu were asking for it? It's, I mean, that's the yeah, logic, that's right? right? Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Wow. I, now, I am interested, though. There is there is a rise, at least from my perspective, a rise in anti-Semitism. And I, I've talked about before how I grew up in, in the greatest time, apparently, to grow up in the history of ever, which was the 80s and the 90s. And in the 80s and the 90s, I, I believe that this country had basically whipped yes racism. Yes or no, did you ever wear parachute pants? I, <laughs> I cannot tell a lie. I'm just checking. <laughs> I had a pair of uh, parachute pants, and I had a lot of neon. <laughs> so much neon and slap bracelets. It was not, so not everything, <laughs> not, not everything, everything about the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think in the 80s and 90s in this country, we basically had racism whipped. I didn't grow up in a racist country. I grew up in a rural town in Texas where, nevertheless, the most famous sports player in the country was Michael Jordan. The most famous guy on TV was Bill Cosby. The most famous person in music was Michael Jackson. It, it didn't exist. If anything, it's worse now, much worse than it was then. That particular trio hasn't turned out too good. Uh, well, listen. <laughs> <laughs> My hero Jordan, Jordan is still okay. Yeah, yeah. J- J- Agreed. <laughs> I will say, Greatest of all time, Jordan or LeBron? I'll take Jordan. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll take Jordan. I think hands down, Jordan. I mean, he has no one else on his team, and he doesn't get his coaches fired as often. <laughs> well, and, and he actually made the playoffs, mm. which is a tough thing to say in LA. <laughs> <laughs> that got no reaction here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the rest, the rest of the country. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, now, George, Jordan over LeBron. Well, I mean, and, and this comes as a man who's beaten Jimmy Kimmel in basketball. <laughs> right here. Look, Jordan has six rings. And at the end of the day, they'll yeah. be the greatest of all time. You've got to make it to the finals, and you've got to win. And at the end of every game, everyone knew Jordan was going to get the ball. Everyone knew he was going to be double or triple teamed, and everyone yeah. knew he was going to make it. By the way, and, and had, fine, LeBron gets five or six rings. He can have that conversation, but he's not there yet. But there's one other aspect to it, which is the cultural aspect, which is Jordan defined that sport for a generation yeah. in a way that I just don't think LeBron James could lay claim to. Him. Now, LeBron is freakishly talented. He's, I mean, he's the, amazing, the guy, he, he, he is... I suspect, Strong and fast and amazing. I suspect but, he could outshoot you if you guys ever had a uh, with yourself. his toes. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to get back to this issue of the rise in anti-Semitism. But first, uh, Ben, as someone who has to defend himself, uh, or at least faces the specter of having to defend himself. <laughs> That's right. Bravo Company Manufacturing, your go-to? Yeah, they are fantastic. Not only are they fantastic, like John Wick, I see guns. <laughs> Lots of guns. <laughs> and that is where Bravo Company Manufacturing comes in. When the founders crafted the Constitution, the first thing they did was make sacred the rights of the individual to share their ideas without limitation by the government. The second thing they did 
is they enumerated the right of the population to protect that speech and their own persons with force. You know, I believe in these principles, so does everybody else in this room. I'm a gun owner. Owning a rifle is an awesome responsibility. Building rifles is no different. Started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago. Bravo Company Manufacturing, BCM, builds a professional-grade product which is built to combat standards. That's because BCM believes the same level of protection should be provided to every American, regardless of whether they're a private citizen or a professional. This is not a sporting arms company. Bravo Company Manufacturing designs, engineers, and manufactures life-saving equipment, which is the stuff I care about since I am not really a hunter. I am mostly interested in shooting people who come into my house without my permission. Go check out Bravo Company Manufacturing right now. BravoCompanyMFG.com. You can discover more about their product, special offers, upcoming news. That is Bravo Company mfg.com. If you need more convincing, go check them out on YouTube at youtube.com slash Bravo Company USA. Great company. The folks who run it are just fantastic. We know them. Check out their product. Yep. Really first rate. Bravo Company, mfg.com. So I went to the YouTube channel between the last backstage and today, and I, I went so far down uh, the, the rabbit, rabbit hole. hole watching videos about it. It's actually, uh, it, it puts you in a trance watching the kind of care. That, it's, a, it's a thing about me that I can watch someone engaged in some sort of fine motor function so even just like someone making a perfect cup of coffee, like it mm-hmm. pulls me in. And watching these videos about the care yes. that these guys put into creating uh, their product is pretty. Does it's it good TV? How does it cook bacon? Does it? Do... <laughs> <laughs> by, so anyway. by the way, in that video, I overcooked the bacon. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I had three mags and really two is plenty. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the kind of care Bravo Company would show. <laughs> so, Jeremy, you were saying you grew up in a non-racist. I grew up in a non-racist country, country, and and I didn't listen. I didn't know any Jews. My uh, vice principal of my high school, the fellow named Bill Jolly, and he was Jewish, and he had a jet black, big bushy mustache on one half and snow white mustache on the other, some genetic condition. Uh, but he was my only real exposure to uh, uh, to Judaism. And I went to synagogue with him one time. I mean, he's a great guy and invested kind of in me and my, my youth. But I never met a Jew, but I certainly also never encountered any animus toward uh, toward the Jews. And I even had an ar- I distinctly remember an argument that I had with you in 2015 in which you were trying to convince me that anti-Semitism is real. And I was saying, I well, of course, and I was saying, that, yeah. of course it, has been real, but it is not real in our current experience. And you were saying, no, you're you're missing something. There's something that bubbles under the surface. I gotta say, I'm on Drew's side now. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, this is a first. You were, you... And, uh, having twenty four seven security has sort of made that happen for yeah. me. Yeah. But something, e- even if you're right, and I'm willing to grant that this was always bubbling under the surface, it's not under the surface at the moment. That's right. No. That's what is right. it about our current political climate that on both left and right, at the at the far extremes, what I call the asshole edge. <laughs> of the left and the asshole edge of the right, uh, they're sort of joined by this this anti-Semitism. You know, what I, I got to tell you though, there aren't mainstream, really Republican congressmen and senators who are endorsing these sort of anti-Semitic ideas that we see in the Democratic. I will party. absolutely agree with that. Of so, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I've analyzed it this way. When it, when it comes to the threat of anti-Semitism, the threat of anti-Semitism. So, the, if if somebody's going to come to your house and shoot you there's a good shot the person who comes to your house and shoots you is going to be a white supremacist. Yes. Because that's just by numbers. So what, we live in a big white country. The, well, that, that, white that is true. Yeah. In Europe, if you're afraid somebody's going to come to your house and shoot you, it is going to be a radical Muslim. Right. The, by numbers, that, that is who it is. And if you're afraid of governmental policies that make room for all of the worst people in the world, it is going to be people on the left. So you're that is Jeremy Corbyn in yeah. Britain, yeah. and that is the Democratic Party in the United yeah, States, unfortunately. There's also been an important change. Listen, Nazis, the Klan, they've both been around a long time. But Nazis and the Klan are ignorant, bigoted morons. And, and anybody with, with a shred of sense 
gets that. I mean, look, Nazis were literally the bad guys in Raiders of the Lost Ark whose faces melt off. I mean, they are the archetype of bad guy Nazi. We know they're bad and guys. And clan guys can compete with them. They can fight for who's, right. who's in a, a, a worse circle They're so of bad, even Hollywood will make films about how bad they are. <laughs> exactly. But, but the difference and, and, and the really discouraging thing and dangerous thing is the rise of the anti-Semitic left and the paralysis of, of so-called mainstream Democrats yeah. Yeah. to denounce them. The, the, the inability, I mean, you know, you have this freshman trio in the House who, who make anti-Semitic comment mm -hmm. after anti-Semitic comment, and the leadership excuses it. Well, she just doesn't know what she's saying. <laughs> How about give a little bit, bit of credit when you say it's all about the Benjamins? It's <laughs> right. not like we're in the movie Ghostbusters and suddenly she was animated by a spirit that made her type that. No, she was expressing a sentiment, an anti-Semitic trope that, that has only been around a couple of thousand years. And right. we saw actually House Democratic leadership try to come together on a simple resolution condemning anti-Semitism and the Democratic Party broke in half. Right. That is dangerous. Right. When you have one of the two major parties so terrified of its base that they're unwilling to stand up and speak out against them. Well, what they're is, also, what is they're, it they're conflating anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism, too. And that's that's the big move, right? It's, so it's, talk, can you talk about that, Ben? Because sure. one of the, uh, now that everyone, because I stood up for you against some crazy white supremacist And now you get Twitter, it, enjoy. And now they've all decided that I'm that I'm Jewish. Welcome to the party, Because it's the only, yeah. <laughs> I always knew I, it. I, I always thought, I thought I'd get a gift basket from the Illuminati when I came here. <laughs> <laughs> all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Uh, but one of the things that people say to me often is, you guys call any criticism of Israel anti-Semitism. Right. Where is the distinction? What is anti-Semitism? What is not? So the state, I'll give the State Department definition of anti-Semitism on this stuff, which I think is fairly accurate. So criticizing policy of Israel is not anti-Semitic. I criticize policy of Israel. Everyone in this room, I'm sure, has criticized policy of Israel. You can do it from the left. You can do it from the right. There's plenty of policies in Israel that you can criticize. If you say that the state of Israel does not have a right to exist, that's anti-Semitism. If you say that the Jews are the only people on planet Earth who cannot have a state, that's anti-Semitism. If you suggest that you're going to hold the state of Israel to a standard you would hold no other country, that's anti-Semitism. So if you're calling for a boycott in Israel, but you would never call for a boycott, C.C. Ilhan Omar, you would never call for a boycott on Iran, yep. right? You, that you're, Ilhan Omar is saying that we shouldn't boycott Venezuela, but we should definitely boycott Israel. That's anti-Semitism because now you're obviously applying a standard that only applies to the Jews that you wouldn't apply to, to anybody else. And the reason for this, Jonathan Sachs, the ra former chief rabbi of, this, of uh, Great Britain, actually had a really interesting video on this, trying to explain why, when anti-Semitism is anti-Zionism and vice versa. So first of all, not every anti, and not every criticism of Israel makes you an anti-Semite, but there is not yet an anti-Semite who has been born who doesn't spend an inordinate amount of time criticizing Israel. It just doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, so the, what although, he's, although there are some who say, well, listen, I, I support the state of Israel. All the Jews should go there and not get us to fight their wars. Right. And then they, what, they, they don't mean any of that, right? Because I mean, they, they, they also hate Israel. Right, exactly. Uh, and, but but the, like, I, I've yet to meet any of them. Like, and yeah, I'm, I'm all for Jews defending themselves in Israel. That's not, not a thing. Right. Um, but, it's, but what you see is, in history, the anti-Semites have traditionally targeted the largest collective of Jews. So that could have been a cultural collective of Jews. So in, in Europe in the 20th and 19th centuries, it was the Jews are too culturally powerful, so we will target, quote-unquote, Jewish culture. Before that, it was Jews as a religion, so we'll target their synagogues, we'll target Jewish religion. Now the current largest collection of Jews is in Israel, so Israel becomes the focal point of the hatred. Um, and again, criticizing Israel is one thing, but you, you're seeing the left embrace this argument that if you couch your anti-Semitism in anti-Israel terms, that it's okay. So the most obvious example is in Germany a couple of years ago. There was a synagogue that was burned down, and the two guys who burned down the synagogue, radical Muslims, 
they claimed that they'd burned down the synagogues because they were anti-Israel. And the court found with them. The court mm -hmm. found that they had burned the synagogues because they were anti-Zionist, not because they were anti-Semitic. So again, that's that that conflation is is pretty ugly. I don't want the whole episode to become about no, no, no. anti-Semitism. But, but I do have but, one more question. Can, yeah. can Jews be anti-Semitic? Sure. Oh yeah. Of course. Yeah. I mean, and this is so one. Of, <laughs> so one one of the things that that I think people need to pay attention to is it was funny. I said, listen, I'm an Orthodox Jew. I'm by definition not an anti-Semite. And people are like, well, isn't that identity politics? No, because there's a word Orthodox before Jew. Right. Okay, meaning that I am a Jew who believes in the principles of Judaism, which means that I care about Judaism. I care about Jews. Like, if it, Noam Chomsky is a, is a Jew, right? Genetically, he's a Jew. Ethnically, he's a Jew. Does he care about Israel? No. Does he hate Israel? Absolutely. There are a bunch of people who are like that. Being an ethnic Jew has no, I, I don't care about that at all. I care more about your principles and the values that you hold. So the fact that I stand for what I stand for is the reason I'm not anti-Semitic, not because I was born to a Jewish mother or something. Well, one of the loudest megaphones for anti-Semitic sentiments has been the New York Times. Mm -hmm. And just recently, I mean, I made a joke earlier about their cartoon, but they were forced to actually apologizing for running a, a baldly anti-Semitic cartoon. But, but rewind a little bit further. Go, go back to, to a year ago when, when America opened our embassy in Jerusalem. I was there in Jerusalem that day. Uh, the next day, the New York Times ran a front page story, uh, the headline of which is, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember it exactly, but it was essentially uh, Israeli military shoots uh, a number of Palestinians. And, and what they omitted right. from the article, and I read <laughs> this article on the Senate floor, excerpts from it, is that these, these innocent Palestinians who were shot were Hamas terrorists, which Hamas admitted on its own website. The, these were terrorists who yeah. were flying kites with swastikas on them, and they were flying kites with gasoline bombs over the wall in Gaza to, to, to bomb within Israel. And, and the narrative that the New York Times tell, tells us for some mysterious reason <laughs> these Israeli soldier, soldiers sh shot these peaceful protesters. I'm sorry, terrorists seeking to murder you are not peaceful protesters. And, and when Ilan Omar made her comments, the New York Times ran the headline that she had reopened the conversation about whether yep. Israel was too powerful. <laughs> I thought, like, that's not the conversation <laughs> she's reopened. She has not made, Ilan Omar is a perfect example. She has yet to make an actual criticism of Israel. Yep. Every criticism yeah. that she has made is not about Israel, right? right? She says that, not, not Israeli policy anyway, she says that Israel basically buys power in the United States. She suggests that, Jew, that anybody who supports Israel has dual loyalty. Not, nothing she says is a criticism nearest, of anything that Israel actually does. It's a criticism of Israel. Like if you replaced Israel with Jews in the sentence, it would, make, it would mean exactly yeah. the same thing. The nearest thing. thing to a direct yeah. criticism of Israel she made was... Israel has hypnotized the world. We pray that Allah awaken people to the evils of Israel. That is not the sort of language you use when you criticize trade policy in Germany. That is not the sort of <laughs> language we would apply to any other state. Can I, can I just broaden the conversation just a little bit, though? I think there is what we saw in this EU election. There is a struggle between people, between nationalists, people who believe in countries, believe that their country is good, would like to keep their... And globalists, let's call them globalists. And... The old cliche about the Jews was they were cosmopolitan, in a bad sense of that word, meaning they didn't have national loyalties, they had double loyalties, they wanted a global uh, world run on finance because they were good at that. They had traditionally moved from place to place, which made them good at trade and all these things. And we're actually living in a moment when some of those old uh, tropes are on the table, but they're actually not connected to Jews. I mean, the Jews, you know, as they were in Germany, and they are here, were the most patriotic and loyal of Americans we could possibly ask for. 
And so when people are, are saying, are putting forward nationalism, they're not necessarily putting forward anti-Semitism. There was a, 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 an article attacking Orban in Hungary as an anti-Semite, and they really couldn't come up with an example of anything truly anti-Semitic he had done, whereas the examples of the pro-Jewish stuff he has done are all over the place. He's well, given a lot of money to, to Jews, and Jews in Hungary say they're safer than anywhere else in Europe. The leading modern philosopher and proponent of nationalism is an Israeli philosopher right. named Yoram Hazani, who wrote yeah. a book called The Virtues of Nationalism. That seems to always be left out of the mainstream media coverage over resurgent nationalism versus yeah. uh, globalism. But, I mean, it, it does, for those of us, you know, who can at least historically remember, uh, you know, the, the 40s, I can't live, not in my living yeah. memory, but I can remember, there is an, a discomfort I have, you know, with with people, you know, that it was a national socialist movement, and it wasn't really a socialist movement, no matter what right-wingers like to say. No, uh, Hitler, but, 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 Hitler look, actually it, redefined socialism in Mein Kampf to fit his own standards. It's a little disingenuous. And he was, right he was an anti-Marxist, and, uh, and he yeah. killed he was, the socialist wing. He was right-wing wing. by European standards and left-wing by American yes, standards. Yes, right. and he killed the socialist wing of the Nazi party, I mean, right. basically, as, along with everybody else. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but no, I, I mean, I think there is this discomfort because uh, of that history, but really, I, I believe that anti-Semitism is detached from the issues of the day, I believe it is a, a disease in the human mind and in the Western mind, maybe specifically, that comes up basically whenever people get off track, whenever people lose the, the, uh, the narrative of freedom mm. uh, and independence and decency that the West represents. Well, I think when decency is the right word. Because, but what, what seems to me to happen is, is just that anti-Semitism is such a shapeshifter because it really is just a giant conspiracy theory. Great, so great so people it, yeah. rely on conspiracy theories when they're unhappy when they feel like their life is not in their own control. And so for a variety of reasons, a lot of people are feeling that way right now. And so they are immediate, a lot of those people are immediately going to, okay, well, there is a grand conspiracy and the Jews are behind it. So from the perspective of the far right, the Jews are the globalists and they're the George Soros's and the Tom Steyer's and the Bernie Sanders's. And then from the, and then from the left, the Jews are the ultra-nationalists with the Israeli uniforms on. And then in the Muslim world, the Jews are the people who are keeping everybody down with their evil little state. It's, it's amazing how the Jews shapeshift that way, and, really. And they do have, I mean, because of the Bible, <laughs> written yeah. by Jews, uh, they do have this tremendous psychological and ethical and spiritual uh, influence on the formation of the West. Well, the, and if the you hate the West, and, it's, it, there may be And I think there's an actual spiritual component to it. We've talked about this before, but... It's, it's interesting to me that you never meet someone with mental illness standing on a street corner saying, I'm so happy. Yes. Everything is going so well. Yeah. You also never meet someone standing on the street corner saying, the Jews are fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all the great science. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have Funny. polio. <laughs> I don't have polio. It's a strange, strange connection. That's right. So we can't talk about something other uh, than anti-Semitism. It seems like we ought to. But, but first, policy genius. What so a great I, I've been working really on my segues. Really I'm working on my segues, and I feel like policy. You if anybody's going to get my best work, it's policy. You must be genius. a professional uh, broadcaster. Right? Uh, well, uh, if this conversation good. makes you want to die, like you want to make sure. You also want to make sure that your family is taken care of in case you do plots. Like you're literally sitting at your computer right now, just watching this thing, going, "When are they going to get to the Game of Thrones recap?" And you're afraid you're going to keel over. Well, now would be the time for you to log on to Policy Genius and make sure that your family is taken care of in case, God forbid, you should plot in the next five minutes or so. It only takes you two minutes to go compare and check policy prices over at Policy Genius. It's the easy way to buy life insurance online. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers and find your best price. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team 
will handle all the paperwork and the red tape, no commissions, no hidden fees, just more time saved for you. They don't just do life insurance either. They also make it easy to find the right home insurance, mm. auto insurance, disability insurance. They are your one-stop shop for financial protection. So if you need life insurance, but you are short on time, head on over to policygenius.com and compare quotes. Policy Genius is easy. It saves you money. And not to belabor the point, but it is fast. Policy Genius spend less time comparing life insurance and more time doing literally anything else. And I know right now you're sitting there screaming, I want to hear what they have to think on Game of Thrones. But we're not going to tell you until you go over to Policy Genius and you go make sure that you are you not shocked You will be to so much more happy with Policy Genius than you were with the finale of Game of Thrones. <laughs> well, I mean, that. to be fair to Policy Genius, we can make a better sale than that. <laughs> you know, but go I, check out Policy Genius, there's, seriously. There's something, there's, without, without any flattery, there's something that's bothering me as I'm sitting here. Without any flattery, I think we can all say that the people in this room are great respecters of Senator Cruz. We all, I think we all support him. For well, the I may have the to dissent from that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, with an exception. Half of us did commercials if, if, for if, Senator if Cruz. If Senator Cruz <laughs> had descended to hanging out with us, is our country screwed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yes. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm Cuban, Irish, and Italian. All you had to do was offer me a good cigar. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes me feel a little better, right? Senator, you're the While we have you here, you actually come up on the show quite often. And the reason is because I always on the show point out that Ben has many, many, many friends uh, in the United States Senate, and I have, uh, I know one guy. I don't want to, I don't want to you know, call you out as a friend on the air, but <laughs> wouldn't do that. So, I, I so can feel your, your ratings tanking now. <laughs> You're the only person that, that I know who has been through the gauntlet of running for national office, of running to be president of the United States. Could you, what was it like? Happy to tell you, but I got, I got to make a comment first. Just yeah, as yeah, I was yeah. sitting here listening uh, to to the product plugs, which is very cool, and I was thinking about in the in the world of politics, we don't get to do that. And can you imagine the Democratic debates with product plugs? <laughs> <laughs> just think about it. Just think about Bernie Sanders. And let me stop and embrace. Bolshevik tax collectors will kick in your door and take everything you own. And then a special cameo from AOC. Let me stop and endorse, not Amazon. Get the hell out of our house. I mean, this is a whole new territory that you guys have opened up. Are you two employees? Well, have I got a product for you. Not Amazon is my favorite website. Yeah. Joe Biden for hair plugs, Pete. Oh, that's too oh, real. That's too soon. Too soon. Yeah, yeah. Too soon. Too, too real. Too I heard Kim Jong. That's what Kim Jong Un said. That's just what he said. Hold on, that guy. That's what he said. I mean, and that guy's honest. I don't know about you. I if anything, you're defending. Straight If anything, you're defending vice president. That's exactly right. I mean, you should hear what he told me in private, Kim Jong Un. What he told me in private is so much worse than what I just conveyed to you. I'm just saying this. I will pay money to see Bernie make fun of Biden's hair. Oh, <laughs> that'll yeah, never. That's such long. a win. I'm actually, I feel a little bad for Biden because they're so good at hair transplant surgery now. It's all timing. Life is all timing. And by the way, has anyone seen Joe Biden in the last? Uh, no, like, no, he's hidden. Three weeks. He said, he said his Joe. campaign strategy is not to campaign, which is my jogging strategy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, it is true. He's doing very well in the polls. Probably not a great sign if your campaign strategy is just hide and hope it's over soon. You know? <laughs> I hope they don't oh, totally catch up with it. Yeah. I think that's the smartest thing he could possibly be doing. What else really? can he do? Yeah. Well, also because like the clown car over there, they're just going to beat the crap out of each other, and he's sitting over here just ignoring you know, them. I'm not sure I agree. It's, it almost never works to hold your fire in politics. So you, right. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, just and, to, and to actually, sit let me push out, back you know? for a second on, on, on them 
beating each other up. Mm -hmm. I think there's a possibility that the democratic debates are going to be the most boring things on earth. Because they won't touch each other. Because they're not attacking each other. Mm -hmm. They're unified mm -hmm. by one thing. They hate Donald mm -hmm. Trump. Mm -hmm. And the debates are liable to be one person saying, I hate Donald Trump, and the next person saying, no, 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 you no, think no. I really, him. really hate <laughs> Donald Trump. And, and, and it's just, after a while, look, I mean, you know, you talked about the 2016 campaign. Listen, on the Republican side, we had our fireworks. I mean, let me tell you, I was standing on that debate stage next to Chris Christie in New Hampshire when he unloaded on Marco. And I got to say, that was a moment on that stage where all the rest of us, I was just like, let me read back here and read my paper. You, 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 you go on ahead and, 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 you know. It's not often that you're a witness to an actual political murder-suicide yeah. taking place on the stage right before you. I mean, it, it, I, I don't know that we'll see that on the Democratic side. Mm -hmm. I, I, That's possible. I, although although I, I don't think that Kamala Harris and Cory Booker are going to be able to hold their fire too much longer. I think that they understand that Biden has 60 percent or what is it, 40 percent of all black voters right now are supporting Biden. So I, I, if Kamala wants to win the nomination, she's going to have to open fire on him here at, at some point. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Buttigieg open on Biden pretty soon on the gay marriage stuff because he voted for Doma. Biden did. Um, but if, if you're Biden, honestly, the worst thing you can do is... Gay marriage is, is probably legal in the country today because of Joe Biden. I mean, it's going to be hard to make He was the that. first one who came out and said, right? The cascade, the cascade yeah. happens with Biden. I mean, right. yeah, he... And the, court, the smartest and the thing that followed. he can do is just let them all whine about him. And then just sit out and do nothing. Because the more he talks, the more gaffes he makes. And if he just hides, all the others are so desperate for attention. I just don't see them touching him, really. Like, unless the media... Please, please don't talk about touching Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> he likes it. All right, all right I'm going to make a confession right here. I, I think I am probably the only person in this room who has been on the receiving end of a Joe Biden back rub. You oh, do. oh no. wow! No. You do have very nice hair, Senator. <laughs> I, I have to say. I, so this how was, was that? 2013. Yeah, how's this 2013. I'm newly elected to the Senate, and the Democrats are making a big push for gun control, and and they're going all in on gun control. And I'm a brand new freshman trying to fight to defend the Second Amendment. We beat them all back and defeated those efforts. But if you remember, one of the the provisions there was the Mansion Toomey provision. Uh, that that was expanding. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, but I will nod as if it, I know what you're talking about. It, it was it was expanding background checks hmm. to to yes, to I do remember this actually. Transactions between private individuals to it would have extended that that if a grandfather gives his grandson uh, a shotgun for Christmas, that, yep. that that the grandfather has to go and run a background check, and and so a number of us opposed that, and we defeated it. And and I was on the Senate floor, um, and I went to Joe Manchin who. It's a really, everyone likes Joe. He's a really nice guy. And I, and I, and I, I went over to Joe on, on the Democratic side of the floor and I said, Joe, I just wanted to say thank you for how you conducted this debate. Because, you know, Manchin didn't get personal. He didn't yeah. get nasty. He argued for the policy. I disagreed with the policy, but, but he did it in, a, in an honorable and principled way. Yeah. So Biden was there as vice president because he was prepared to gavel in this historic gun control provision. And it ended up getting beaten badly. And uh, I like the story. Biden came around to the Senate floor. Uh, I'm talking to Joe on the Democratic side and Biden comes behind me. And he puts both <laughs> hands on my shoulders All and right. begins rubbing my shoulders and kind of rocking back and forth. And, and I'm kind of like new to the Senate going, uh, dude, what? Like, <laughs> and, and, and he turns to Manchin and he says, you know, there's nothing worse than a smart Republican. <laughs> and I'm just kind of like, uh, 
Okay. I'm not usually at a loss for words. I'll admit I had nothing to say that was really hoping someone would distract the vice president. And then you accidentally voted for the bill. Like, yes. <laughs> All right, I give in. Just <laughs> piercing eyes. <laughs> he just got lost. Although, actually, to Biden's credit, Biden is a charming and funny guy. That's what everybody His policies says, yeah. are terrible. Yeah. But, but he... So that, everybody likes him. No. Yeah, so that's an interesting thing. You're running for president and you're running against guys who are your colleagues, guys who are uh, who I assume you're friendly with, at least on some level. You have a and I'm sure it's the same when you run against, you know, when you're running against certain Democrats, but but probably more pronounced when you're running against Republicans. And you have to defeat each other. You have to highlight each other's weaknesses. You have to highlight each other's flaws. How how do you survive that on a personal level? How do you recover those relationships? I mean, from from all Outside, for what's possible for us to observe from the outside, you have a very good working relationship with the president. Yeah, and I mean, talk about some slings and arrows that uh, that came your way. No, I didn't notice. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, with Donald? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, really? I, listen, I think that he was just afraid of your father. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I win this thing, hey, so I will say, the, I, I will say at the, the Republican truces. convention in the summer of, of 16, I did ask more than a few Secret Service agents. So... How is my father was a delegate from Texas, and I said, "How is it that you let into this convention <laughs> someone who's already taken out one?" <laughs> and this guy knows. <laughs> but how, how does one absorb uh, that and still maintain your humanity, and also maintain your uh, ability to work with the people across from you, or, or get along with the people across from you? Oh, look. Part of it is you got to have a sense of humor. You don't take life so seriously. It's one of the worst things about the left. It is that everything is so damn serious. Mm. Uh, you, you know, there's an old joke. How many radical leftists does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? That's not funny! <laughs> <laughs> like, guys, just relax. Like, 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 like let it go. And so, you know, this is a contact sport. And, and I, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, in 2016, Lindsey Graham, my colleague, mm -hmm. publicly said, if you killed me on the floor of the Senate, that no one would convict me. And that, that, by the way, it is true for any newspaper reporter, if you're writing any story about me, it's obligatory, you quote that Lindsey Graham book. That, that, that is in every story, I think it, the editors put it in there. Well, fast forward after Lindsey dropped out, Lindsey endorsed me in the campaign. Yeah. And, the campaign <laughs> and, and, and as I said, when Lindsey endorsed me, I said, you know what? This is the first time in my life I've, I've ever been endorsed by someone who's publicly called for my murder. <laughs> I never understood that line from Senator Graham because Everyone's running in the race and they say Washington is broken. Everyone here is a crook and a rat and a liar, and they all hate Ted Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like sort of an endorsement. Maybe he endorsed you in that debate. Uh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so thick Look, skin, don't have to have a sense skin, of humor about yourself. You laugh and you remember what you're doing. You remember mm -hmm. why you're doing there, it. There um, seems to be tremendous pressure from the people for you to hate each other, though. The people don't like it when you're convivial with the opposition. Well, we've become so polarized. I yeah. mean, the, 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 there's no middle ground on humanity. Everyone is is evil. I mean, I mean, look, uh, Jim Carrey recently painted. Uh, I mean, he paints lots of pretty <laughs> right. wretched paintings, but yeah. but this latest one uh, uh, of yeah. the governor of Alabama, Kay Ivey, mm -hmm. he he painted her as an unborn child being aborted, yeah. and he's reveling in this. I, I mean, that's a level of just. Hatred. He's mentally ill, though. That, okay. that, 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 you know, and I engaged with him on Twitter, and I said, "Listen, I disagree with Jim Carrey's politics, but but I'm going to treat him with decency and respect his yeah. humanity." 
you know, you know, but the left, in a lot of ways, Donald Trump broke the Democratic Party. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They Seems hate him so much that yeah. they've unleashed just this, this, this rage that blinds everything else. Yep. Um, we've got to get past that as a country. You know, I, I, I was happy that, that Kerry painted that thing of Kay Ivey, not yeah. only because it demonstrated the animus, but also because it's the first time a Democrat actually apparently understands what an abortion yeah, is. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought the so same thing. Kind of, at least, like, yeah, I was killing at the least they're being yeah. honest about what yeah. this is now. Okay. Yeah. And, okay, and, and more live broadly, with that. you say the president has broken the Democrat Party. I think that's probably true. He has made them, in a very perverse way, much more honest. Not just Jim Carrey, mm-hmm. but nobody's talking about safe, legal, and rare anymore. They're yep. saying yeah. safe and safe legal, legal. And, until three days after birth. Even, uh, even the press isn't pretending to be objective anymore. I mean, right. he actually has brought everybody out of the yep. bushes. Yeah. Yep. Well, we'll find out if the breaking is good or not. That, no, right? it, because, it, it because has there, a is, there is something to, it, yeah. to the patina of civility I, and that, legitimacy. No and it's, and it's, no it's because people are now openly doing this sort of stuff, it has ratcheted things up to such an extent that yeah. I guess the Overton window for civility used to be here. And now, since there is no my, my, civility. You know, I, I agree with that. In uh, but principle, I mean, listen, but I'm the, not in favor of civility just as a general principle. No, but like, my, I want people to speak my, passionately, but the, the character attacks are so. It's true. My, my problem is, is that it's not as if the left up until this moment was being great. I mean, that's we, true. we're saying, that's, that's you know, true. we want to put black people back in chains and all this. And, and they had they had that rhetoric backed up by the news media, this enormous, enormous uh, institution that was all on one side. And all Trump has done is bring it into the open. I, I think I, I give him a pass on this. I, don't, I, don't, I hate the rudeness. I hate the boorishness. I really do. But at the same time, I, I can't blame him for simply, as with China. I think he's more of a simply, symptom than a cause. He's I mean. simply bringing out what was already there. So Ben has promised a Game of Thrones review. Mm, yes. And I just mm. want to bring that up one more time. Yes, of course. No, and, let's, and let's not. Well, no, we're not. Obviously, we'll go right after over talk, yeah. yeah. Because first, we have to hear from some of our Daily Wire subscribers. Mm. If you want to ask a question, in particular, if you want to ask a question for Senator Ted Cruz, please become a subscriber. Go over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Give us your $10. We, <laughs> I cannot express this enough. My house flooded. You guys know this. <laughs> a recirculating pump broke in my house. My entire first floor got wiped out. I am slumming in an Airbnb. I need your $10. <laughs> Please go over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. More seriously, though, I will say that your subscription money makes a huge difference to our business because the fact is that the left is on our ass all, all the time. All the time. And the fact is that you are what allows us to bring you all the different shows every day. This really. is absolutely true. We Ben made a comment at the March for Life, and advertisers were so upset that Ben was at the March for Life that dollars walked out the door. Yep. And in our business, that's... All the money. Like, that's the ability to keep people employed. That's the ability to keep making that, the content. And the only reason that we're able to survive that kind of pressure is because we're backed up by these subscribers who say, yeah, we're willing to put our money on the line to make sure that you guys can't be wiped out by media matters. Media matters yeah. and, and, and they're fake eight, allies. Eight trolls on Twitter. Correct. Well, Alicia, I will, I will tell I'm you, not, not, not to suck up too much, <laughs> but... Look, one of the joys of traveling all across Texas and all across the country is I meet lots of people. I cannot tell you how many young people ask me with almost awe and amazement, do you know Ben Shapiro? <laughs> <laughs> I really was I hoping he was going to say, do you know Shapiro? I mean, and it's, it, it's nobody yeah. else in politics, nobody, you know, in Hollywood, it's like, did you know Ben Shapiro? No, no I do tell him. Actually, actually no, he's a robot. Huh? <laughs> he's created in, in a laboratory, but 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 it's really good animation. So you know, it's, uh, 
So thanks to our Daily Wire subscribers. Send us your questions. Alicia, do you have some to kick us off? Yeah, I sure do. And I want to remind people that the God King did promise me off air, but some of the producers overheard it, that if we get more subscribers tonight, when this baby's born, I'll get a bonus. So. <laughs> what I said is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I'm just trying to be fruitful and multiply in this very liberal state of California. You guys got to help me out. That's God bless you. And please name her Jeremina. <laughs> <laughs> Not on the short list. No. All right. <laughs> this question is for Senator Cruz from a Daily Wire subscriber named Robert. He wants to know, what do you think the chances are that the recent pro-life bills in different states across the country are able to hold up in the courts? You know, I think it depends. I, I'm glad to see states that, that are acting to defend life. And, and, and there's a debate in the pro-life community. Is, is it, does it make sense to, to defend life and, and, and to do it in an incremental way, focusing on initially some of the more egregious practices like late-term abortions, uh, like, like requiring parental consent so that, you know, a, a teenager needs consent to get a tattoo, but not to end the life of her unborn child. I, I think there's a lot to be said for an incremental battle. I think that's part of why we're winning uh, the battle of public opinion. You look at young people that are more pro-life today than, than, than they've been in a long, long time. Uh, on the other hand, there are others who say, you know, go for uh, legislation that, 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 that is, is a direct, uh, direct assault on Roe, you know, one of the virtues of, of a multiplicity of strategies is, is the way the Supreme Court takes appeals. Um, every year, the Supreme Court's appeals are discretionary, and the, and the court decides what cases to take. So every year, the, the court will get roughly 8,000 wow. what are called petitions for certiorari, which are just requests for the court to take, take a case. And those come typically either from federal courts of appeals or state Supreme Courts. These laws, particularly the broader laws, are, are all going to be struck down in the lower courts because they're contrary to Supreme Court precedent. So it will be right. up to the Supreme Court if and when it chooses to overturn it. But the court, out of those 8,000 8, cert petitions, they take typically about 80 a year, so about 1%, which means that the justices will make the decision, do they want to take an incremental case or do they want to take uh, a whole-scale whole yeah. challenge. And, and, and I'm perfectly fine with having a multiplicity of cases for the justices to choose, and, and any four justices uh, can choose to grant certain. And so I'm sure we will see some of these cases make it to the court in time. I don't know when they'll take it. In, in, in the event that Roe were overturned, would that hurt the uh, Republican Party in, in elections? Um, well, one of the things that's worth understanding on that, that a lot of people, the media never tells you, if Roe versus Wade were overturned, it wouldn't make abortion illegal. Right, of course. Yeah. Uh, the law in this country for 200 years is that abortion was a question for the states, and, and different states had different standards. Right. If Roe were overturned, you'd have 50 states, and you'd have 50 different standards. And nobody thinks, for example, the legislature in California is going to vote anytime soon uh, to prohibit abortion, or even, in all likelihood, to restrict it in any meaningful right. way. Um, part of the virtue of federalism. You know, Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis referred to laboratories of democracy, 50 states, is you'd see 50 different standards and people could vote with their feet and they could vote with their values. And, and I think abortion would be a far less divisive cultural hot button issue Amen. Amen. if we'd left it to the legislative process rather than the Supreme Court in 1973 saying, you the people have no right to decide on these questions we're taking it out of your hands. Oh, yeah. I think our present divisions, a lot of it stem from Roe v. Wade. A lot of it stems from the idea that the 
the courts are going to tell us that we can't decide these things in our states. There were states already liberalizing abortion law before 1973, obviously. And and the truth is that on a national level, in order for anything to be done by pro-lifers, you'd need a constitutional amendment, which is something basically everybody acknowledges and also is probably not on the table formally at this point. As far as the strategy, I've been saying for a long time, I think it is highly doubtful that a Roberts-Kavanaugh swing on the court is in the mood to overrule Roe. I think that is a wild overreach by... Not pro-lifers, but I think that anybody who thinks that because Republicans have appointed five of the justices on the Supreme Court, that that means there's a majority to overrule Roe. I don't even think there's a majority to restrict Casey. I think that, I think that which is the secondary case that, that sort of pairs back Roe a little bit and creates what's called the undue burden standard, uh, essentially arguing that the states are not allowed to unduly burden a woman's ability to get an abortion that's been used to uphold uh, or uphold restrictions on abortion past the 20th week, but not before the 20th week. Um, I, I think that People who believe that Justice Kavanaugh is on the side of overruling Roe, I don't know what they're smoking. It, it ain't these cigars. There's a, the, the, I, I see no indicators of that. What kind of, of cigar that. did you get me here? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, India, that Indiana case today is a very good indicator that this is the case. There's an Indiana case that went to the Supreme Court. Uh, it included two provisions. One was the disposal of, uh, the disposal of fetal tissue. Uh, that provision was ruled in order by the court. Basically, that's fine. If you want to make people bury or, or cremate fetal tissue as opposed to tossing in the garbage the way that abortion clinics do because they're disgusting, uh, then, uh, then that's fine. But there's a second provision that effectively restricted abortion past, I think it was the eighth week, and the court simply refused to take it up. Uh, and that same bill said that you're not allowed to abort a baby for purposes of racial eugenics or disabled eugenics. And Justice Thomas wrote an amazing he, he concurrence. Like he's about to go through the roof. Oh, yeah. Well, I think he's frustrated, and I think yeah. he has a right to be frustrated. Yeah. I think he's looking at his other colleagues on the court going, what the living hell is this? Yes. Why can't I get even four votes to get a hearing on a law like this that is obviously designed to stop the eugenic killing, in many cases, of racial minorities and females? How is this possibly not Supreme Court worthy? But is the court going to be able to punt on... Alabama, Georgia, 100 percent. Of course, all they have to do is allow the district courts to strike it down in the name of Roe. Remember, the precedent that already exists w- can be used, and and by pretty much all legal stare decisis rulings, probably should be. Unless you're going to overturn old case law, it's going to be very difficult to argue that under Planned Parenthood versus Casey that you can actually over that they, that Alabama or Georgia or Missouri stand up. I just think, which is why I'm a Thomas guy, not a Scalia guy. I think stare decisis. But, but you know, uh, Justice Scalia, I got to meet him when I was a student, and we asked him precisely about this. We said, you sub, you sub acknowledge stare decisis, you acknowledge precedent, so why doesn't that hold up for something like Roe versus Wade? And his answer was simple, which is certain decisions are so egregious, so historically egregious, they simply must be overturned. Yeah, well, this is why a, Thomas is a better justice than Scalia. Stare right? decisis can't be an absolute principle. It's ridiculous, right? right? I mean, it shouldn't be a principle at all. Stare decisis is a bunch of nonsense. Well, and one of the, the best examples of that is Plessy versus Ferguson. Yeah, exactly. Was, was a decided decision right. that embraced separate but equal. It was a horribly wrong decision right. the day it was decided. Mm-hmm. And when it was overruled, that was absolutely right. The Constitution yeah. protects the equal rights yeah. of every person, regardless of, of your race. Let me shift, though, because you also asked about the political consequences yeah. of this. And, and one of the things that's important to understand, the modern Democratic Party is wildly out of touch, I believe, with the American people on the question of abortion. If you take Hillary Clinton's position on abortion, she supports unlimited abortion on demand up until the moment of birth, partial birth, yeah. with government funding <laughs> and no parental notification or consent. Now, nationally, 9% of Americans agree with that. 91% of Americans say, whoa, that is not my position. And as far as I know of the 346 Democrats running this year, (laughs) every single one of them agrees with Hillary. That is 
that that is required entrance well, said, to the Democratic primary. And so it's out of step with 91% of Joe Americans. Joe Biden reversed himself on the Hyde Amendment. Right? Five, year, five years ago, Joe Biden was saying that the Hyde Amendment needs to remain. That, that what, we should what's not the Hyde have, Amendment? The Hyde Amendment says there is no federal funding of abortions. Hmm. So they'll still fund Planned Parenthood under the lie that Planned Parenthood right. is using that money, money for non-abortions. <laughs> yeah. um, but, the, but Biden used to be in favor of the Hyde Amendment. They asked him like two weeks ago. And he said, no, 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 I'm, I'm totally in favor of federal funding of abortions, meaning that you and I have to pay taxes so that somebody else can have an abortion, which is, I mean, the founders would be spinning so fast in their graves that they would be digging brand new <laughs> steel tunnels. I mean, it's insane. Look, it was just a few months ago that the video of Ralph Nor Northam surfaced. And it was a radio interview he was doing that was videoed. By the way, who would video a radio interview? That's a little crazy. <laughs> um, but where he, where he argued for not just late-term abortion, but abortion after birth. And, yep, and he's a doctor, right. and he described how as a doctor he would deliver a child he would make the child comfortable, and then he would discuss with the parents what to do with the child. The obvious impl implication to be whether to kill this infant who is already born. Listen, even people who are vocally pro-choice are utterly horrified with that. And by the way, when, when I spoke out about it, the Houston Chronicle, the head of the editorial page blasted me and said, this is a lie. This is not true. This is not what they Northam said. Yeah. And I responded, here's a link to the video. And by the way, my tweet on it said, watch the video. So you watch, you listen to yourself. Now, let me ask a question. When's the last time you heard Ralph Northam's name in national news? <laughs> I know, yeah. he disappeared. I know. Not, not only yeah. does he advocate for post-birth abortion, but then, of course, his, his, his famed yearbook page, where, where, and let's segue, let's go back to the Klan. So at a yearbook page with one person in blackface and another person in a Klan outfit, but he doesn't know which one he is. It's those damn sheets. You can't tell. Yeah. You put your finger on the most important piece of this. So, so the media and, and popular culture has this, the, the left has this weird fixation with blackface. Yes. Uh, now, I got to say, look, I grew up in Houston. We, blackface wasn't a thing down there. And, and, and I get that there are cultural insensitivities and it's probably not worth doing blackface. Now, I'll mention... Um, I think two of the three late night comics have appeared in blackface. Yep. Uh, there are a bunch of Hollywood folks that have appeared in blackface, but fine. I'll get that times have changed and I'll even concede some of that. What was amazing though is when he publicly said, his first answer was he may have been one of the two, he wasn't sure which. If you cannot stand up and say unequivocally, I have never in my life worn a Klan outfit. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? And, and it's amazing. Think about the media. They call it the blackface scandal. Right. Why isn't it? And KKK? not the Klan scandal. Right. I mean, he, he's like, yeah, that could have been. And then a day or two later, he changed his mind and said, no, 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 that wasn't me. Yeah. But not a word of that in months because the fact that you have. Well, maybe a he's Democratic, in disguise. I mean, huh? That's it could right. be in disguise. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we haven't seen and, him. And also, because if, if all the scandals went, then a Republican would be in charge of Virginia, and that's why it's <laughs> that was, there. That was, that was about the most fun week we've had in politics that was for a while. That was, that was pretty uh, yeah. fantastic. What's amazing, too, I mean, so the Houston Chronicle asks you, who are you going to believe? The Houston Chronicle or your lion eyes. And, but they say, well, Ralph North... Lion Lee, Ted eyes. Your lion <laughs> Ted eyes. <laughs> but but then thing. they say, well, listen, Ralph Northam's an idiot who said something stupid on the radio. Well, you don't need to just focus on Ralph Northam. Look at the governor of New York, yeah. who passed a law legalizing abortion up to the point of birth, changing the penal code such that if you kill a pregnant woman, you, it is no longer double murder. You're, you're only committing a single murder. What about that guy? That is a law. He celebrated it. He lit the, the buildings in New York up in pink to celebrate the law. And virtually every news story about this does what you said. They say uh, Republicans dishonestly claim 
that Democrats are in favor of infanticide, well, I say, my, but it's infanticide. Listen, my quads are real solid from all the pouncing lately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to say, it's great like exercise. Crazy. I've been pouncing yeah. just <laughs> every day. I get up and I pounce. Yeah, I never skip like 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 endless, right. endless pouncing. Endless <laughs> pouncing. You get great hamstrings. What's going on with our poll out there? All right. It looks as if less work isn't an option for most of our Daily Wire subscribers. Our Facebook poll question well, was, Americans. what's the best <laughs> part of summer? Less work only got 16%. Less rain was 17%. The movies was 22%. I mean, it's probably because The Avengers has come and gone, and I can't think of another movie I'm excited to see. But the winner of What's the Best Part of Summer is definitely Climate Change with 45%. (laughs) It's changing out there. I I woke up yesterday, and my wife told me that we were going to a barbecue. She likes to spring these things on me last minute. And I said, uh, ah, it is overcast and rainy. I shall wear a long sleeve shirt. Not Three hours later, <laughs> the climate went and changed so rapidly. You know, they say it's going to warm up four degrees uh, over the course of a century. I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. It went up twenty degrees yeah. by the time afternoon came. Because I was can driving the, my car. How can, how can the deniers keep denying this? <laughs> this is an emergency. Every summer it happens. We need to bomb every, every coal factory in China and India. <laughs> it's an emergency. I've been told we have twelve years to fix this thing, mm-hmm. and I've heard it's just like World War II. No, no. no AOC just, said, "How dare you believe her when she says twelve years?" That's true. That's true. <laughs> and then Beto made it ten. And Who? It, yeah, I don't know. Some guy. He ran. He ran. Uh, for I remember. Senate. I remember Beto. In, Air, in New yeah. Mexico. He's an Irish in Texas. In Texas. He He's an Irish fellow from Texas, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, Have you yeah, ever heard guy. of him, did, Senator Cruz? Did, did you happen to see uh, his announcement speech in El Paso? He gave part of the speech in Spanish. And AP <laughs> reported... Beto gave part of the speech in his native tongue. <laughs> and they had to issue a correction. Because Beto is, of course, Robert Francis O'Rourke. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I had to have some fun with this on Twitter. And so I retweeted. I said, that is impressive. I have never seen a political speech given in Gaelic. <laughs> I just, I have to say, I'm a little offended right now that we have a white man such as Senator Rafael Ted Cruz here <laughs> criticizing this obviously Mexican man named Robert Francis O'Rourke. This is a microaggression. The, the only reason he'll get away with it is because not one human remembers Beto O'Rourke at this point. <laughs> that guy, he got buttajudged right out of the national conversation. Raw. Well, he's boring. It's going to be amazing. Don't worry. He's got things to do. One more question. Go, Alicia, go. Well, it seems as if not uh, everyone, everyone is pretty upset with the Game of Thrones, you know, finale. I'm glad I never wasted time on watching any episodes. We're definitely going to talk about it. Even Jon Snow himself is so upset he checked himself into rehab today. So, Uh, but a question comes from Jonathan, a Daily Wire subscriber. He said he wants to know what you guys think of Game of Thrones, but what do you think that the next big show will be now that Game of Thrones is over? Mm. I'll tell you what the best show on TV right now is Chernobyl. Ah, so good. Chernobyl is incredible. It's another level of television. It's, it it's, is, it's so it's, good. It's like Band of Brothers level good. It's unbelievable. It's so good. Have you guys seen this? No. Okay, oh, oh so you want to pitch this through because oh, this is, is your it, profession. So, what's, what's the name of the actor? I forget. Is the lead actor. Oh, uh, the, the guy, guy from the... Uh, from Mad Men. Yeah, uh, yeah he, and, and also he's been everything now, right? He, he was also in um, the one about the Queen. He is like Anthony Hopkins level great. He's, he's one of the great terrific. actors I can't remember his name. This thing is, ju- is just, it's almost like a, um, a documentary, a docudrama. Yeah. And it's so beautifully done. And it's a, it's a horror movie. It's a living, real horror movie. Right. And it's filmed like a horror movie. And it's basically about how so, Soviet communism allowed, brought the world this close to annihilation, essentially. And it's it's all true. Right. I mean, it's about the meltdown at Chernobyl. Yeah. And it follows the bureaucrat, like this one bureaucrat, the one honest bureaucrat yeah. in the Soviet system who's trying desperately 
to tell the bureaucracy, to tell the Politburo, you guys need to evacuate this area because it's going to kill 300,000 people if <laughs> yeah. you do not. And you need to bring in these workers to do this, and they're going to die. And, and it, has this, to- it has this scene where Emily Watson, as a physicist, goes in to a, a Soviet official and says, you know, this is a real disaster. And he says, well, I have a different opinion. And she says, before you did this, you ran a shoe store. And he says, power to the workers. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, she it's, says, I'm a nuclear physicist. <laughs> you ran a shoe store. And it, it is an amazing, amazing. First of all, the acting, every actor in it it's is phenomenal. great. The writing is beautiful. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. It, it, is, it is the and best it, thing I've seen in TV and, and in it a has, very long and it time. Literally, I'm not even finished with it yet. It has me on the edge of my seat every, every episode. Who plays the dragon? <laughs> so, 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 so I, I will confess the, the nuclear meltdown I'm having the most fun watching is the Democratic presidential <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and you know what the, the line I'm a shoe salesman there are actually quite a few of them that, that, that they can say that as well because that's what they know about running an economy as well so, yeah, but, Senator Cruz is literally running around saying I am a professional politician <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to work <laughs> but as far as Game of Thrones okay did everybody see it yes you saw it? Well, no, my, you know, my, my, my favorite thing. part of, of the whole finale was when Gandalf oh, <laughs> stole the ring. Shut up. No, out. shut up. Yeah. I have not oh, seen God. one episode. I'm gonna, I I've can, not seen 15 I'm, I'm I've seen every single episode. Gonna, have you? Every single one. Me too. I saw every yeah, episode. Yeah, so did I. I'm, I think I'm the four of us this. have all seen all the episodes. I'm dreading this because I know I'm in the minority because I like oh, it. Oh, you liked it. Yeah. Oh, you are so wrong. As per our usual arrangement. All right. You are incorrect, Give us the pitch for King Yeah, I'm going to need to hear this. Slowly, in short sentences. I, I thought that it, I, I don't, first of all, I think there's something inherently uh, damaging about telling a story over that length of time with uh, input coming in from the public. So I think that no television show, including television shows I've loved, like The Wire and uh, Breaking Bad, yeah, have really right. Breaking sustained. Breaking Bad was awesome. It was awesome, but it, yeah. it didn't sustain, I can pick it apart uh, in its narrative because as a, as a writer, writer if you're writing a story, crowd, you're right, you start reacting right. to the crowd, and, right. and it had all those problems. And I thought the penultimate season was terrible. Uh, yes. I think it was the penultimate yes, season where right. they went. Yeah. That's right. <clears throat> however, however, first of all, I lo- I was grippingly entertaining every step of the way. Every step of the way, it was never not entertaining. There was a moment in the middle of the last season where I thought, I care more about who wins that throne than I care about the 2020 election. I was so, <laughs> I was so taken with it. Any time a story does that, it's good. It is a good story. If you are telling a story and you are that gripped and that carried away, it's a good story. I thought that weirdly... And then it, it turned out like Eric Garcetti ended up... <laughs> well, like, what in the weirdly, world? Weirdly, it imitated... <laughs> it imitated real life in the sense that wars begin with big questions and great enthusiasm and racial intensity. And they end with a bunch of bureaucrats setting up the sewer system. And I thought that that was basically what happened in Game of Thrones. I thought the tragic uh, love affair between Jon Snow and Daenerys was absolutely terrific. I was wrapped up in that till the Did end. Did you see her turning bad? Yeah. I, see, that's the other thing. People yeah, keep that, saying no, that, was, that, was keep saying that, was that wasn't set up, but I saw it like two seasons ago. And when... That goes uh, I, saw it, I saw it in season one. Season one. Yeah. No, I mean, she I saw, watches I saw her brother get burned to death I, with, with molten gold. At I that point, the, you're like, yeah. She yeah. crucifies hundreds of people. I, I saw the possibility. I just didn't know yeah. if they would go there. I mean, right. So when it happened, all these people said it wasn't set up. I thought it was pretty well set up. I, I mean, and, and I just thought it was just a terrific story that really understood power understood how power works and what it does to people. And it understood the randomness of, uh, of life. I don't think the idea that they killed people randomly wasn't quite true, but they gave the impression that they were doing that. And I just thought it was a terrific show. And it didn't bother me that, <clears throat> it, that it didn't resolve in the way that I wanted it to resolve. I don't think that's a story's job. So here, you know? here's my problem. Okay. I don't even care that Bran 
becomes king. Although I think it's from, idiotic, basic, but... from basic storytelling 101, once you melt the Iron Throne, you then can't have in the next scene we choose a king. Because the entire point of melting the Iron Throne was to break the wheel to change the whole concept of the, that we're going to have these kings. But I'm even willing to grant them that they don't understand what symbolism is. <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing that happened in the finale is not Bran becoming the king. The worst thing that happens in the finale is that after the most consequential thing that has happened in the entire series, which is Jon Snow kills Daenerys Targaryen, they fade to black. They fade to black, and they say, three weeks later, and three weeks later, the bureaucrats are sitting... So what they, what they did is they faced the most difficult question that they were going to have to face as screenwriters, and they got so terrified of coming up with the wrong answer that they punted. And they gave no answer. So you're saying you don't think the Unsullied would have reacted well to that? I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying when the Unsullied come in, Jon Snow does not come out. The obvious way to end that story, the way that everything had built to, even the whole fact of Jon's uh, actual lineage as a Targaryen faded to black. Correct. Nothing matters. Yep. The obvious way to end the story, and you could have, you could have played every single scene, the bureaucrats, Bran, you could have played 100% of that the same, if... He kills Daenerys Targaryen. The dragon doesn't burn the throne because the dragon is an animal and doesn't understand symbolism any better than the writers. <laughs> the dragon tries to burn Jon Snow. And he doesn't for, burn. And he doesn't burn. And then, yeah, now, now his lineage has <coughs> been proven. Now he is the master of the dragon. He flies out on that dragon, which keeps the Unsullied from being an issue. And he melts the Iron Throne. And he says, look, I'm obviously the chosen one. I'm uh, History, fate, <laughs> magic, raised from the dead. Bloodline, the whole thing built to this. And I say, screw the Iron Throne. I'm receding into the north. You guys figure it out. And if they had done that, and then all the other scenes are the same. Right. They sit around, they exactly make right. Bran. They it robbed. still wouldn't have made any sense that Bran is... But I wouldn't have cared, right. because yes. They robbed John of his agency. They rob him of his agency. They turn John into a passive character in the final season. He spends <clears throat> the entire season doing nothing until he kills Daenerys, at which point they imprison him and then forcibly send him back to the north, which again makes no sense since the Unsullied have now left. And who's the queen of the north? Oh, right, his sister, who could theoretically just be like, yeah, we're not doing any of that stuff. The Unsullied are gone. To, to turn him into a prisoner and then send him back north makes no sense whatsoever. He has to take the throne and then abdicate the throne. That's right. That makes perfect sense because then he's an active character. Then he, he's done all he the matters. things he needs to do. Although he's, he's, a, he's he, kind of been a passive character throughout. I, I, I mean, that, yes and no. I mean, he does charge directly he, into the in no, front he's, of a 6,000-person army. He's a brave right? guy, but he's a lone wolf. But, that, but that, that, that's yeah. fine for him to be a lone yeah. wolf. But this Which is, is why, he could, that's, why he could abdicate. That's why it would have been satisfying for him to finally say, okay, you know what? My whole character has been me being unwilling to step up and take leadership, even though people keep trying to thrust leadership on me. So for just this moment, I have to do it because it's the only way for all these people to survive. That would have made sense. There were a couple beats in the, in the final episode with him and Daenerys that make no sense. That whole conversation with Tyrion where he's like, ah, but she's still my queen. You just watched her roast a million people. That, boat, <laughs> that ship has sailed, my friend. If you had just you know, had sex with her two episodes ago, everything's hunky-dory. Right? She was basically like, marry me, have sex with me, and everything's good. And he's like, no. And she burns a million people. He's like, now I'm into her. What? Wait, what now? I'm, I'm confused. You're... you're I don't know how anybody dates you, man. I mean, like, that's, that's a very confused... You're sending some mixed signals here, is I guess what I'm saying. <laughs> and then the whole final scene with Tyrion, where Tyrion gets up in front of the council, and unsullied guy is like, well, Grey Worm is like, well, you don't talk. And then he's like, okay. And then he proceeds to give a seven-minute speech to all of Sansa's direct relatives. 
right? I, I mean, everybody there is a direct relative right. of Bran, right? Every That's single right. person there, with I think two exceptions, is a direct relative. So it's pretty obvious how this particular election is going to go. And when he gives his speech, first of all, there's nothing I hate more in TV than this, this pathetic nonsense where writers justify their own job to the audience. I hate this crap so much. So you have him give a speech. The only thing that matters is story. Oh, that story, was you know, yeah, I, shut no, I, your freaking head. I agree. That's, that's a, a bunch of nonsense. That's that Yuval Harari crap. That I hate that. that. It's, yeah, it's, it's garbage. Yeah. It's garbage in sociology, and it's garbage when it comes yeah. to writers justifying why I'm watching your show. I don't need you to lecture me on why I just watched your show. I got it. It was entertaining. Yeah. I don't need you to tell me stories are the only thing that matters and all this kind of nonsense. And yeah. then for him to say, and the best story is Bran, the broken, who was thrown <laughs> off a tower. His story, he, his story is so good that he sat out a season. Right. <laughs> One entire season. Also, my favorite thing there was that, that he said, Tyrion is saying things like, and then he, he became the three-eyed raven. Now, no one in that room knows what the F Tyrion is talking about. He goes, he became, the, no one knows what the three-eyed raven is. Yeah. The only person who knows what the three-eyed raven is is maybe Sansa, maybe. And also Sansa's sitting right there and she's like, well, I gotta be honest, like my story's kind of better than this, right? Like my story was, like I, I got forcibly married to this guy, he got killed, but it's also, and then I got married to Tyrion, the whole, and then I got shipped off to get raped, yeah, and, and I suddenly Daenerys became queen of the North. Daenerys' story was the best story. The, she, story she's Daenerys, one of the best female characters anybody's that's written. Right. Actually, Arya is pretty, pretty Arya, Arya, yeah. Arya has a good story. So basically everyone there, including the weird uncle who gets up and tries to take the crown for a second, has a better story than Bran. And he's like, but story, story's everything. I, First of all, you know what's I everything? I guarantee you the weird uncle is a U.S. senator. <laughs> <laughs> final note, final note. When he, when he says story is everything, this has never been true in Westeros ever. Ever. No, I It agree. is a lie, right? When he says story is everything, so yeah, the people are just going to suddenly accept this weirdo as the head of, my, as the, head of the Iron Throne. My, my, only point, my only point, though, is, and, and all of this, I think, is, is absolutely great. I would sit and listen to it forever. When... when Little Nell died, right? People gathered on the ports of, in America waiting for the chapter to come in screaming. As the boat came in, they screamed, does she live or does she die? When you do that to somebody, you've done a great job. They did, <laughs> they did a great job. Yeah. They fumbled at, at the well, one-yard one one But the fact, that even the fact that we're sitting here talking about it is, indicates what a great job I don't think that's fair. We're, yes, they did a great job for eight seasons and five episodes. That doesn't mean... The fact that we were that invested doesn't mean that they actually carried the ball across. And the Lost ball. was great for five seasons. But it, it, it's also <laughs> it the whole no, thing. No, the Lost whole thing was, is based, five episodes. I knew Lost was over. The whole thing is based <laughs> on the War of the Roses. Yeah. And the War of the Roses doesn't end with you take the person with the best claim to the throne and you send them over to Normandy because yeah. guess what that person does less than a generation. Later. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has to end with the murder of all of your opponents. That's the only way that it can. Well, you know, Hollywood has gotten so political. There, there are two alternative endings they could have done that would have mirrored the 2020 election. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they, they could have, number one, made Ned Stark the king because like the 2020 Democrats, he has no brain and lost his head. <laughs> <laughs> or if they gave in to their political predilections, they could have made the White Walkers the king and said that all Republicans are Nazis. <laughs> you know, that, that was, to, on, to be honest, that was my biggest disappointment in the show was the White Walkers. I thought, I yeah. loved, I loved that they introduced that like in the first episode yeah. and then it just kind of crept in well, and it had a, a lot of, it had a lot of symbol, symbolic valence. The idea that everybody has to unite against death because death is a threat to every single person. And then it just kind of died. Well, you never is, you found out who the Night King was. But here, you know? the, this, is, this is actually the big problem with the Night King as a character. So somebody pointed this out online. I, I, I want to give credit, but I can't remember who it is. They were saying, if you contrast Sauron, I think it was Ross Dutat. 
uh, if, you, if you contrast Sauron as a character with the Night King as a character, the thing about Sauron is that what's interesting about Sauron is not Sauron. What's interesting about Sauron is how everyone reacts to Sauron. So in the middle of the Battle of Gondor, you have Denethor who's lighting his kid on fire because he's gone crazy from having to make these decisions about what to do with Sauron. By the way, I've just been officially out-geeked. <laughs> <laughs> You've got Saruman, who becomes an actual emissary of the Dark Lord, right? You have a bunch of people reacting in different ways. The problem with the Night King is because he is death, there's only one way for the characters Right. realistically to act right. toward him, which makes it a very boring conflict because everyone is innately united okay. by this. The only person, the only exception the being Cersei, who makes a basic been to bad, give him right? a better story, to get well, the Night King That's true. So a, a final point on my Ned Stark theory. If you think about his central theme, it is winter is coming. So it's climate change. <laughs> Jay Inslee is going to be the Democratic nominee. <laughs> Jay Inslee is the brand of this race. How he's just I, sitting there all I, uselessly. I, just like, <laughs> I can't wait to like, the nomination. It's like, w- w- isn't, there a, isn't there a nomination? It's like, I'm flying don't like a bird, man. Flying like a bird. Don't right disrespect Eric Solwell. <laughs> well, it's, it's actually, you're right. He is like Bran. He, he just released a video where he said his job is to sit and listen. Yeah, yeah. Did you see that? Well, so he and, is the brand and oddly the enough, when you threaten to launch thermonuclear weapons at the voters, that turns out not to be good politics. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just as a, as a literal fact, Eric Swalwell campaigns on the slogan, I am you. So he actually is brand. So he actually does <laughs> take control I, at the end of the I, show. I have to say, by the way, as someone who's not a, a big fan of the uh, game, uh, the Game of Thrones, the uh, Lord of the Rings books. Yeah, I love the movies. The movies but, are great. But I just thought the books were just like yeah, almost an act, of, uh, an act of insanity. Yeah, exactly. However, however, J.R.R. Tolkien was a brilliant guy who had a vision and put that vision onto paper, and that is the problem in, entirely with Game of Thrones, yes. which I think yes. undermines it from beginning to end. Is that there is no vision in it, and no, and nobody actually knows. I mean, there's there's a Lord of Light in it who brings people back to right. life repeatedly. But, it's completely but he, irrelevant. he's completely irrelevant. And I think that that actually, except that Melisandre provides the services of a grip in that one episode. So but you can see what the hell is going but on? But that's very, but that's very real for people like the author. It's very real for he, the guy's an atheist basically, and it's very real that all the effect of God is there, and they know it. But they're just not going to react. Mm. They're just going to ignore it. And I think that that well, the, is okay, that's so a genuine now, now it's time for me to piss on George R. R. Martin. So yeah. this is, so this guy's last book. When did when did uh, last one come out? The book number five came it's not, out. It's a long time. Nineteen eighty two. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like yeah, it, yeah. It, it came out like seven eight years ago. Yeah. And so he sits around doing nothing and not contributing. So that was Joe anything. Biden's sixth term. <laughs> <laughs> and he sits around doing nothing for years on end. I know. And then and then the the did you see this? The series finale came out. And then they asked him about it. He said, well, you know, I'm going to write the books differently. It's like, <laughs> oh, you are just yeah, the worst. Like, so yeah. you're willing to take millions of dollars from HBO so they can buy the rights to your stuff. And then you're going to wait for everybody to hate the ending. And then you're going to crap all over the people who did the only, like, he basically abandoned the books when it became clear that he had no place to go. I mean, I've read all the books and books one and three are good and the rest are garbage. Yeah. And he just ran out of things to say. And so he just stopped writing. And then other people filled in his blanks and now he's mad at them for filling in his but blanks. The, weird, the weirdest thing is when J.K. Rowling's came out and said that Jon Snow was always gay. <laughs> so weird. So weird. I didn't even know she wrote that book. <laughs> there is a there is this problem with TV though. The Wire is a classic example. The last season of The Wire is some of the worst television I've ever seen, and the first season is the one of the some of the first best. First season is fantastic. Yes, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And I just and third there, season's pretty good. There's a genuine problem with writing a story over that much time with people. In well, your this head. is this is House of Cards had that same arc. Yeah, yeah, that's just, right. The first decide. two seasons yeah. are spectacular, and then it steadily went down. And al- right. almost every television show is best in the first season because that's the arc and 
it's just part of the business of writing TV that you have to throw in everything you've got in the first episode and then explain it over the first season. By the end of that, you're kind of done. Well, this is why, that, this why, why I'm a fan of streaming because the truth is the move toward miniseries, which I thought were dead back in the 1980s. This yeah. was the big thing. In the 1980s, right. they actually had all these great miniseries that came out. Yeah. And then they stopped with the miniseries and they went to just series series. Yeah. And that only works for comedy because you can write the same characters every single episode. But for a drama that, that actually has some sort of connection between the episodes, if there's no character development, then there's no place to go. And right. if there is character development, then there has to be a termination point for the characters. Yeah. And yeah. so you end up in this weird situation where basically you should basically just say three seasons and out. Uh, and every show here would have been better at three so seasons and out. That's what the out. British used to do. And it's funny because the only show that's actually about this, and I think it's, it's probably one of the best works of art of our time, is The Sopranos, which you is actually, about, it's yeah. actually about the fact that in TV nobody ever changes. And so like, TV is actually a lot more like life than, than books and plays, because in a book and a play, there's a character who has an arc. But in real life, most people just don't change. They just do different things. Like, so if you're a cop, you're the same guy when you started, but you handle a lot of different cases. It's a lot more like television. And in The Sopranos, all this stuff happens, and everybody says, oh, now I've got a revelation. And then the next episode, like exactly in The Simpsons, the they're exactly back where yeah. they started. And that, I thought, was just genius, because I thought that was what the show was about. And that, that one does hold up. It worked, whole, right? Yeah. It worked through all yeah, of the seasons. Yeah, it does. It's an amazing show. To quote the Bard, things in this life change very slowly, <laughs> if they ever change at all. <laughs> Which Bard is that? Yeah. Uh, George <laughs> Henley. Oh. Whenever I say the Bard, it's always Don Henley. You guys yeah. know that. <laughs> uh, listen, the one that I'm excited about right now, and it, it's a one-time thing. It's an event. It's not a. It's not going to be a new series. John Wick Three. <laughs> ben is a, so into John Wick. Oh my God! Don't, don't tell a, me. I've seen one and two. I haven't seen three. Okay, no. so yeah. I won't spoil it. All I will say no, is that they, no, it's, it's, isn't there a pretty it. tough dog in it? <laughs> yeah. They, all, all I will say. Okay, so it's all in the preview. He's riding a horse. Okay, man. He rides a horse, and also. The, there, there are three action sequences that open the film, and they are so, the, maybe the three best action sequences ever. Okay, stop talking. Stop that because I haven't seen so it. They're so good. Oh, my goodness. Deadwood. Oh, yeah. We're excited. Getting, on the 31st, we get a finale yeah. to Deadwood, which I think the first season of Deadwood, the first four episodes the first of Deadwood. first four episodes of Deadwood are Deadwood. unbelievably yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's just a lot of cursing. But, but, then, but then every, 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 now, every now and again in Deadwood, there's a great episode. That's right. Like, right. it'll go for, like, five Episodes will be terrible, garbage, and, then and then suddenly you go like, "Whoa, wow, what was that?" Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> yeah. exactly right. Okay, ben, you, you talk about shows with a lot of cursing. One of my favorite movies, one of the funniest movies ever, I think, is Team America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, Team yeah. America. I mean, it's just it side splitting. So but I will say, when Heidi and I were fairly new, newly married, and Heidi and I watched together, she's not a movie person, but she laughed so hard she almost <laughs> fell out of the chair. <laughs> so we then were on a family vacation with her parents, and we're like, "Okay, oh, this no. is so funny. <laughs> Let's put it on." And, and I guess we'd sort of forgotten just how much cursing there is. So I'm sitting there with my in-laws watching the, this, oh, like, that is a huge it, it was really, okay, don't, don't go down that road. Do not watch Team America with your in-laws. Bad, bad, set, bad movie. The puppet my, sex scene yeah, that, would yeah. be like marriage and I, 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 I did tell my, so yeah. my dad had seen the movie. And my mom said, can she watch me? I said, no, this is too old for you. <laughs> <laughs> even, even I cringed during the puppet session. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I want to take two more questions from our Daily Wire subscribers since, you know, to keep us all in business. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to kick it back over to Elisha at Daily Wire headquarters. You can put in your, uh, it's not too late to get in a question for any of us or for Senator Cruz over at www.dailywire.com slash Subscribe, Elisha. What have you for us? I'm sorry. I'm just burning up over here because I have my own personal space heater. That is my 33 week old baby, and <laughs> that's not I a baby. Got... It's a cluster of cells. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Fetus. Um, the heartbeat isn't real either. I heard 
Some idiots say that on Twitter too. But I got like we Michael and I got his and hers matching velvet smoking jackets. We're so and cute, I'm still and really hurt that I got kicked out of the room. And this velvet jacket is burning up and I can't handle it anymore. <laughs> but I will keep it on for our subscribers. Dedication. <laughs> Rune Arun wants to know, uh, and this question is for everyone. So I'd really like everyone's feedback, especially since we have a guy that actually ran for president in the room tonight. The question for everyone is who do you think is the most genuine Democratic presidential candidate? Genuine. The most genuine. Bernie. Bernie is That's not afraid to fully be Bernie. Bernie says what Bernie believes. Bernie shouts what Bernie believes. <laughs> yeah. Bernie sings what Bernie believes, topless in the Soviet Union. <laughs> At no point is Bernie anything other than Bernie. And let me plead with the other Democratic candidates, please don't follow that particular <laughs> Ben, what do you think? Well, I think you've answered the question. We yeah, all have the same yeah, answer. Okay, next question. Yeah. Next question. All right. This one is for Senator Cruz and comes from a subscriber named John. He wants to know, can you give us some insight into what it's actually like behind the closed doors of Congress? Are people actually civil or is it exactly how we see it in the media? You know, talking heads, yelling at each other all the time. Oh, it, it varies a lot. One of the things is there's very little debate in Congress. So, so like, if you go speak on the Senate floor, you know, you know, you, 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 you have envisions of, visions of Mr. Smith going to Washington <laughs> and you're passionately persuading your colleagues. Truth of the matter is when you speak on the Senate floor, it's usually a completely empty chamber and you're just talking to the C-SPAN uh, camera. If you remember the, the first year I was in the Senate, we were debating gun control and, and, and I tried to engage uh, Dianne Feinstein on the Second Amendment and, and actually have a constitutional debate where, where her gun control bill specified uh, about 2,000 different, uh, different guns that would be banned. And she specifically named which guns would be banned and which wouldn't. And, and, and I asked her, I said, look, you've specified you're going to ban some guns and not others. Now, now the language of the Second Amendment uh, that, that, that talks about the right of the people to keep and bear, bear arms shall not be infringed. That's exactly the same language that you find in, in other parts of the Bill of Rights, including the First Amendment. Uh, the, 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 the right of the people to peaceably assemble, uh, to, 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 to speak. And, and, and I said, you know, would you allow the same kind of restrictions on the First Amendment, specifying which books are allowed and which books aren't, that you're willing to allow in the Second Amendment? Hmm. And, and I sort of naively as a freshman <laughs> thought, okay, that's a constitutional question. We're in the Senate. We're in the Judiciary Committee. We ought to be able to debate these things. And, 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 and you may remember she turned and, 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 and roared at me, I am not a sixth grader. And she got incredibly angry with me that I asked her this question. Well, if world's been a greatest grade, deliberative. If you had been a sixth grader, she would have yelled at you. <laughs> <laughs> you should have visited her offices and talked to her about climate change. Okay. It would have been great. Uh, that was actually pretty spectacular. <laughs> that was the best thing. Okay, my, so my, I have hated my senator my entire <laughs> life. This is my senator, and that was the best moment I have ever okay. seen from him. And all, I, actu I actually did pardon. compliment Diane on that. <laughs> when she turns to the protester, the protester said, 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 said you know what? What was it? I'm sorry I voted for you. She says, how, how old are you? 16. Well, then you didn't vote for me. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that, was, that was a pretty was remarkable. The, the only time I've thought that Diane Feinstein has earned my vote. It was so great. Her <laughs> owning like, small children. No, no, no. I, I was like, absolutely. I love Diane Feinstein every single moment that Barbara Boxer was in the Senate. <laughs> I, I just thought, well, if I've only got two, and I've got to pick one. <laughs> so, but on the question, it varies a lot. That there, there are some senators, sort of like every other group of, of people, there are some senators that are nice, that are funny, 
Um, you know, there's several of the senators who are running for president on the Democratic side who, who I really like. I get along really well with, with Amy Klobuchar and Kirsten Gillibrand and, and Cory Booker. All three of them uh, I've had dinner with, I've hung out with. They're, other than their policies, they're, they're, they're perfectly nice people. <laughs> there are other people who, not so much. And, and so it, it varies quite a bit. Have you ever seen anybody in the Senate change his or her mind literally on the basis of a logical constitutional argument, even off screen? I mean, even off, off the Senate floor? Not often. Um, I can tell you a time when I did. Okay. Um, which actually, going back to Gillibrand. So she and I served, served on the Senate Armed Services Committee together, and she's been a, a leader in changing how sexual assault is, is prosecuted in the military. And, and, and tragically, sexual assault has been a persistent problem. And she's been advocating moving the charging decision for a sexual assault case from the commanding officer to a military prosecutor, still a military officer, but someone not in the direct chain of command. And, and I went into to one of the hearings or markups we had on that, and, and I had an open mind. I didn't have really a strong opinion on it. And she made a whole series of arguments that, number one, we'd been trying for decades to fix it. And the military kept saying, let us fix it, let us fix it. And they weren't fixing it. The problem was persisting. Number two, the argument the military made is that moving it out of the commanding officer would undermine good order and discipline in the military. She pointed out a number of our allies, like, like the UK and Canada and Israel, have done this, and it hasn't undermined good order and discipline. And I listened to those arguments, and I said, you know what, that, that is pretty persuasive. And I went and told her afterwards, I agree with you, I joined her bill, and, and she and I have led the fight to do that. Um, and that was really an instance where I listened to the arguments and, and was persuaded on the merits. Well, that, that makes me feel better. That's nice. Yeah. That's so <laughs> nice. That's the nicest thing I've heard yeah. about DC. And like, he could only name one example. And I it's mean, him. Are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if anything, Senator Cruz just cares too much. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot count the number of times I've been told that. Alicia, <laughs> one more from our Daily Wire subscribers. All right. This question comes from Dan. And congratulations, Dan, to you and your wife. He says that they're having their first child in June hey. and wants to know what's the best parenting advice that you can give for new, a new parent. Ooh. <laughs> Listen, your family. You're, you're a parent. For a new parent, swaddle. <laughs> all right. All right. So, so let's go back. So we, our girls, Caroline and Catherine, are 11 and 8. When Caroline was born. Okay. One of the things I didn't know. So when Caroline was born, she was up all day. And, and, or up all night and slept all day. And I remember we went to the like pediatrician like, like a, a week into it. I'm like, okay, there's something wrong with this child. What's going on? And, and the doctor begins laughing at me and said, look, look, when, when, when the baby is, is, is in the womb, during the day, the mom is walking around and it's swaying back and forth. And, and so the baby in the womb is sleeping during the day. And then when the mom goes to sleep, the baby wakes up and says, for a week or two, the clocks are inverted. And I sort of felt relieved. Okay, we, we're not doing something wrong. Uh, hmm. But getting a child to go to sleep, the, the, <laughs> you will do anything. You, you will, and, and, and Caroline, like I would do some of the late night duty and swaddling where you wrap the baby tightly in a cloth and it actually simulates being squeezed in the womb and then rocking back and forth. I used to rock Caroline to sleep swaddled and, and, and listening to Pavarotti, which oddly enough wow. comforted her. <laughs> and, and, and so it, with the parent of a it's newborn, a getting right your child to bed, is a victory that will exceed the highest points in your life to that point. Yeah, that's <clears throat> yeah. The, the ones that they recommend are swaddling and shushing and swinging. That's yep. the three yes. S's. So those are those are those are big. Um, also, 
I mean, if you don't live near family, make sure that you have a parent come in for the first few weeks to help take shifts. Because this is like, I live very close to my parents and that has been extremely helpful for me. Uh, So that, that is definitely a big one. And then as they get older, uh, one that I'm still having trouble with, but is absolutely necessary is say no and then stick to no. Um, Because it's, you realize that, you know, kids think that you're saying no because you're being mean to them. And the truth is that it is much harder for you to say no than it is for them to hear no. Mm. It is very, very difficult to say no to your child because half the time you're saying no to something that you also wish that you could enjoy with the kid. It's like, I, I mean, we're not going to go out to ice cream now because you were bad. And it's like, well, I want to take you out for ice cream. That's fun to take you out for ice cream. I have a good time taking my kids out for ice cream. But if you're acting like a brat, now I got to do something about it. And that's harsh for me. It's hard for me to deal with that. Being a parent is a lot about recognizing when you're doing something for you and when you're doing something for, yeah. for the kid. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing, honestly, is just recognizing how hard your life is going to become. <laughs> yeah. when you become it does radically shift your life. I mean, as I've said a thousand times, basically the, the, the sort of spectrum of happiness and misery in life when you're single, uh, single, barring health problems or something, when you're single, your spectrum of happiness and misery you can get up to like a seven in terms of happiness and down to like a two in terms of unhappiness. And then you get married and it goes up to like a 10 in terms of happiness and maybe a zero in terms of unhappiness because now you, you take on your wife's problems or your spouse's burdens and that, that's very difficult. And then, and then you have a kid and all limits are eliminated. And then the greatest things that will ever happen to you in your life are the things that your kids do and being with your kids and watching your kids laugh. And the worst things that will ever happen to yeah. you in your life, bar none, are all things involving your kids. I can easily say, that the three or four worst things in my, and my kids are only five and three, the three or four worst things in my life that have ever happened to me are things that involve my kids. And I'm not just talking about health problems. I mean, thank God we, we had some health problems, but thank God those have been taken care of. But I'm talking about like, even when your kids are just being terrible or mean to each other or horrible and you have to deal with it. Yeah. And then here's the other thing. Trust yourself a little bit. So everybody always has input and advice. The fact is people have been doing this for several thousand years at this point and yeah. barring cataclysmically bad decision-making, you'll be fine. I, I, I agree with all of that. I think when you have a kid, it is as if you had been living with what on stage they call a scrim, which yep. has the painted yep. scenery on it, and suddenly the thing goes up and you realize, oh no, that now I see the world in three dimensions. I, I completely agree that you have to stick to the consequences. One of the hardest things, if you, so make, a, if you make a threat, you got to carry it out. So that's why you don't My threaten. son has learned that I don't do this consistently, yeah. and he's is, he is eating me alive yes, right and, now. Yes, and you don't, so that's why you don't threaten to kill them, because you're, prob- <laughs> right. you're probably not you going to, to do that. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, then you have to do it. The other thing, as they grow up, I, you know, Wordsworth had a great line about wise passiveness, and one of the things about kids is they are going to be themselves, and you can t- teach them your values. You should teach them your values. You should teach them your vision of the world, but you got to let them become themselves. That is the whole yeah. trick, and, and it's, almost like, it's almost like being a column where you're going to, Keep the limits of, of where they can go, but you're going to let them go up in their own different, their own particular way, and that is one of the hardest things to learn, especially for active people with strong opinions. You know, and you to, raised one and a half good kids. I mean, what I, I raised two of the greatest human beings on earth. Uh, uh, but however, it was my wife. <laughs> you were a kid recently. <laughs> and I was in college, so I. As far as I know, I don't have any kids. I have certainly haven't acknowledged any of them. And one of the great lines in the Odyssey is, it's a wise man who knows his own child. So this is all advice that I've taken in my perspective parenting. But as for the practical parenting, I haven't done any of them. So I'm not a parent, but I... Uh, but you, you know, I'm, stop you from having No, no, well, you know, I'm a lay minister and I counsel people <laughs> through difficult but, times in their life. You work in Hollywood, so you're familiar with infants. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my parenting advice that I, I give to prospective parents is... Uh, 
among my friends, I'm known as the baby whisperer, and it's only because I know the three S's. Because my I'm the oldest of twenty thousand grandchildren <laughs> on my maternal side, and my mother raised my whole town. So there were always like little kids around, and it's amazing what just wrapping them tight and shushing them will accomplish. I've uh, always wanted to try this with an adult. Like somebody's but, complaining too loudly, just grab a blanket, you swaddle them. <laughs> but I do have one great piece of parenting advice uh, for our subscriber and his wife, and that's uh, don't get a divorce. No, it's great advice. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Your your children, and Drew, you speak about this all the time. Your children have a planet on which they live. And that planet is your relationship with your wife. And when you choose to sever that bond, you are blowing up their planet. And they they will not recover. And I had this argument with a close friend recently, and he pushed back and said, you know, kids are versatile. Uh, they they bounce back. You know, they're made out of rubber. They and, and all of that's true. People survive. People adapt. And people survive. But the, the fundamental damage that you do to a child when you sever from them the relationship between their mother and father cannot be repaired, won't be repaired. When they're in their 30s, they're going to struggle as a result of it. When they're in their 50s, they're going to struggle as a result of it. When they are grandparents themselves, they're going to struggle as a result of it. Uh, there won't be a day of their life that isn't marked by the thing that you took away from them in service of self. And ultimately, I think what it means to be a parent is not to serve self as the highest. Uh, yeah, yeah that's, I think all of that is great advice. And, and to add to that, just to add to that a little codicil is, is be, be nice to your spouse, you know? I mean, like, be grateful, because spouses do all this stuff that's invisible, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, husbands put roofs over your head, and nobody, nobody ever looks up, you know, what was that Chris Rock line? Nobody ever says, thanks, Dad, it's easy to read with this light that works, you know? <laughs> and, 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 and wives do a, a million things that is easy to ignore. Well, but it's gratitude cliche, is huge. but, you know, marriage is hard work. <laughs> yeah, you you yeah. know, one of the things Heidi and I try to do is we try to do date night every week. And, and actually, our girls get mad at us, because I'm on the road a lot, and they say, why are you guys going out together? And, and I try to, with our girls, say, look, this is important for you and for the family, for us to keep a strong marriage. Yeah. And, and when y'all grow up and are married and have kids, you need to keep a strong marriage. Yeah. You, need, you need to marry a man who loves you and, and who you are the best friend to them in the world. And, yeah. and that, uh, the, the, that's hopefully a, a good example for kids to see. This is the best advice we've ever given on the show. It's, it's, yeah. you, this guy lucked out, whoever he was. Take <laughs> our advice on parenting, but don't drink and smoke for God. <laughs> Take our advice. Don't do as, don't do as we nothing do. Else. Of course. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in for another, fab, I think, fabulous episode yes. of uh, Backstage. Uh, if you'd like to participate in the next one, head over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Become a subscriber. We will be back in a mere matter of weeks to talk about some other meaningless crap. <laughs> thanks again. <laughs> <laughs>We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.